Welcome to Full Court Tennis Coaches Corner, where we discuss the coach's perspective at all levels of the sport. Hi, welcome to Full Court Tennis Coaches Corner. I'm Brian Teacher, and our guest today is Jeff Tarango, ATP Tour coach and former great player. Jeff played on the tour for 13 years, and each one of those 13 years was ranked in the top 100. He reached the highest ranking of number 42 in the world. And Jeff was also quite a great doubles player. He reached number 10 in the world with the finals, reaching the finals of the French Open with Goran Ivanisevic. And he's got a very interesting story to tell about that. He also grew up in Southern Cal playing tennis with the likes of Pete Sampras and Michael Chang. So he's got some interesting junior insights uh, with that. He coached on the tour. Uh, some of the players that he coached were Andre Medvedev, who was a French Open finalist, reached number four in the world. He's also coached the Moroccan number one, Yunus El Yanawi, who is 14 in the world. And he's worked with the current CEO of the ATP, Andre Gadenzi, along with Southern Cal's Maria Sharapova. And let's get into it with Jeff right now. Hi there. Welcome, Full Court Tennis, Coach's Corner, Brian Teacher, and I'm so happy to have Jeff Tarango here, who has been a great uh, coach on the ATP Tour and a former great player. But first, Jeff, you know, I want to get into you growing up as a junior in SoCal. We both played tennis, grew up here in SoCal, and it's so different today trying to keep, teach these kids how to play from what you and I experienced. And of course, I grew up in the 70s. You grew up more in the 80s playing. And so I want to get into your experiences. So, so happy to have you here today. So just please, let's, let's just, you know, what was it like you growing up, you know, in, from Manhattan Beach? Yeah, well, th that's the thing is there, there weren't really ever any great tennis players from Manhattan Beach. We had a lot of very good social players. We've got very lucky to get a guy named Jeff Abbey, who was number four amateur uh, out of Kentucky. And he came in as a coach, and you can imagine back then, since everything was amateur, like if you're number four in the country as an amateur, you're ranked pretty high in the world relatively back then. So we yeah. got really lucky in having him. He got me like a basis. My mom worked very hard with me, but then we all have to give credit to Robert Landstorp, don't we? I mean, he, he facilitated a, a system where I could go in and hit with players all day long that don't miss, right? And... And he, he had a very strict attitude. And we can't do that stuff anymore. You know, we, we can't so, be as tough as Robert Lansdorp was in the 70s and 80s. It just doesn't float <laughs> anymore. He worked you into the ground. I, yeah, that doesn't work so, so well today. But in general, so um, was Robert your first uh, main coach of tennis? That well, Ken, was Porter, teaching you how, Ken Porter worked under him. Well, Jeff Abbey, okay. Jefferson Abbey was my first coach, and then Ken Porter worked under Robert. I wasn't good enough to even get into the Robert Academy, you know, back then. I mean, you had to be like top five in the country to just get on the courts, right? So it, it was a, a very was, different environment where you had to really push hard. I had some really cool friends like uh, Mr. Blackmore, who sponsored me to be able to even go walk into Jack Kramer Club because it was very exclusive back then. And, you know, I was just literally working my way up. Like, 
I can remember Derek Ristagno calling me and saying, hey, you know, will you come up to the Kramer Club and play a set with me? Like, that was like the biggest honor of all time because now I'm such a great player come in and, and say, hey, I'll sponsor you as a, as, a, as a guest if you'll play sets with me. Yeah, so were you able to, so you were doing a lot of drilling with the clinics? Were you playing sets mostly? Or how, how did you kind of hone your style of play and develop as a top junior? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting you bring that up because it's a lot different than now. Everybody's drilling now. Everybody's doing cross courts. Everybody's doing down lines. Everybody's doing ball machine on the on the feed. And we would play a set right when you walked in the door without warm-up and then drill for an hour and a half and then go back out and play another set. So we're playing two sets a day, five days a week, and then going and playing tournaments on the weekend. Where back then, we it was two hundred fifty six draws. And so, so, so were you? I'm pardon, sorry. We so were two, you homeschooled? Were you homeschooled? Matches, two doubles matches on the Saturday, then we'd come back to the Sunday, play two singles matches, two doubles matches, and that's just to get to the quarters. The fields were. I remember they were quite large. So were you? Were you playing? Were you at school or were you homeschooled? Because I know today so many kids are homeschooled, and I, I'm not a big fan of being homeschooled I was with a these kids. Guy. My my parents were really I, all the schools where I grew up were so close to my house. I'm, my elementary school was one block from me. My high school, Maricosta, was one block from me. So it was one of those things where. And back in those days, you, you didn't worry about your kids walking to school in the morning by themselves, right? right? Right, so it's right, one yeah. of those things where you could do the public school thing. And what happened was, it's funny because, you know, Jerry Brown's been our governor two different times. But back when I was in seventh grade, I got in a big fight with my PE teacher. And he was because he said, you know, go run six laps. And I said, I ran three miles before I got to school today. <laughs> so, so you were you were working out you were working yeah, out so time I, and... I, he said well the only way you're going to get out of pe is with a letter from the governor so i wrote jerry brown and oh, that's funny wrote you know hand script you know with the double lined paper and everything and like dear jerry you know thank you for being our governor but like i play tennis five hours a day i run three miles when i wake up you know, I hit a basket of serves before I even brush my wow. teeth in the morning. I jump rope 10 minutes a day. I don't feel like physical education is, is, is something I need to participate in at right. school. And he wrote back, you know, God bless him. Jeff Tarango's excused from PE forever. Oh, that's that's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. That's, I would have said, no, he's not going to reply. That's pretty, but what that's that very cool. So school at 11 o'clock. Right. So now I'm getting yeah. out of school at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. So it was almost like I am homeschooled. Right. So I right. had all so that you, extra time. So you, you ended up, uh, what were you, what was your uh, junior ranking, you know, gr growing up? Were you always at the top of your age division or no, how did that no, work? No, I was, I was, you know, I was top 10, you know, in the 10s, top four in the 12s. But then, I mean, in, in the state, not in the country. Okay. And um, when we got to 14s and I was one and two with Tom Blackmore, he was better than me. He was just bigger, stronger, faster, everything. And, but when we go to nationals, then all of a sudden you're automatically seated sixth or seventh, you know, 
in the tournaments, like the hard courts and, and stuff like that. I was seated number two at Kalamazoo. I won the hard courts. I was one of the only people to beat Al Parker in the juniors. You know that he that was that was Berlin game Berlin game hard courts. You're talking about is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so then it was it... it was a big deal just be able to beat Al Parker, and he was he won 26 national titles. I mean, it was like trying wow. to beat Federer in yeah. Grand Slam. I remember that name. Yeah, he was. He was an amazing junior. So, yeah, so, nobody could – and then you, you had uh, – let's see. Chris Garner was like two. Dave Wheaton, three. Andre Agassi, four. Uh, Michael Chang, seven. Sampras, 13. Oh, you, you had a deep – we had a deep juniors in those days. My God, yeah, all those then, guys were you know, great, start getting pros. down to the bottom feeders. Like Todd Martin was ranked 39 in the country when I, in the 18s when I was in juniors. Oh, that's, that's, that's amazing. And then he ends up being top five right. in the world. So top, it, was he was higher, higher, yeah. it was a deep field. It was a deep field. And that's field. why you play tournaments every weekend because you got that match practice. And when and you ended up going to Stanford uh, for three years and then won the, the team championships twice. Is that right? Yeah, twice we won it in '88. And so, and so, guys were still mostly going. You know, that were top juniors were mostly still going to college and playing through the college ranks. Typically at that time, right? It was still amateur, so you had to be an amateur in order to go to college. And um, I went out and played the pros, and I got up to 74 in the world in the ATP tour while I was a sophomore in college. But oh, that's that, amazing. That enabled me to be the number one seed at the Olympics because it's all amateur. And then three months wow. before okay. the Olympics, they changed it to pro. And I went from number one oh. seed at the Olympics to not even being on the team. And so I was like, okay, oh, now wow. I'm going pro. <laughs> now it's time. Now it's time ah, so that, is that what changed you basically right yeah. then? Well, I'm sitting and watching in my fraternity the, the French Open finals and – Michael Chang's beating Stefan Edberg in the finals of the French Open. And I'm like, wait a minute, don't I have a 13-1 record against Michael Chang? So so that was pretty much the impetus to seeing one of your peers being successful on the pro tour. You're saying, hey, I can do this. If he can do it, I can do it, right? So Right. right. And then yeah. Empress is in Saddlebrook training his butt off going, Jeff, what are you doing, dude? Get out here. Come move in with me. Let's get this part. He goes, I can't beat a lefty. I'm never gonna I'm never gonna be ranked number one in the world if I can't start beating lefties. He's like, you, you literally have to move in with me at Saddlebrook so I can start beating lefties. Oh wow. Very cool. So your experience at Stanford, would you say that your game, you know, took that jump from being a junior into Stanford? Did it prepare you well for the for the pros or not? It definitely did. I mean, I heard a lot of horror stories about going to college and you get worse. And I think in <clears throat> The women's tour, that might be the case back in those days because, you know, Stephanie London, Stella Sampras, you know, they were just as good as Melissa Gurney and Stephanie Rahe, but they went to college, right? So then they, they kind of drop off. But, you know, in the men's, Dick Gould was huge for my tennis because he got me to think about things that I wasn't thinking about. Like he, he literally the first day I walked in the door, he goes, okay, your coach is Robert Lancer. I don't need to talk to you about fundamentals. I need to talk to you about your half volley. I need to talk to you about when you serve out wide. I need to talk to you about, you know, getting up, waking up three hours before your match instead of 20 minutes before your match. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, he had he is an amazing coach. I mean, he you know, he he learned along the way, right? He wasn't a big tennis a uh, you know, tennis player. Has a great book out. He does have a good be book a out. Champion. Yeah. It's wow. a great book. Okay. Yeah, great coach. I mean, he's he's won the most NCAA titles of any coach, I think, right? In uh, any, any sport. Yeah. In any sport, yeah. Amazing coach, amazing guy, amazing man. So um, you go on to the tour, and you, you have an incredibly successful uh, playing career. You're, you're in the top 100 for literally 13 years. I mean, it's hard to play 13 years on the tour without getting injured, right? And so I'm sure yeah. you had some injuries along the way, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I was lucky that way. I didn't get injured. Um Pete and I kind of had the same philosophy on training. We would always train 80 to 85% of what we could do. So we never pushed it the 110% while we're training. So if well, we push the 110% in a match, that's a different story. You know the deal, how you dig deep and all that stuff. But in the training, when we if we keep it at 80, 85%, then we're not completely blowing out our stuff you know, because we're just supposed to be getting stronger and better, right? We're not supposed to be trying to beat world records out there. So now I, I just learned something. I just learned something because I was always like, okay, you need to practice 110%. And then when you're practicing 110%, the match is easier. So I, I did it the opposite way. And I ended up with a lot of injuries, basically. So yeah, uh, and I always <laughs> better I, to learn late than never. I always had the mentality. Pete always had the mentality that when it comes down to crunch time, I'm going to be 10, 15% better. There's just no way with my competitive makeup that I'm not going to be better in a match than I am in practice. So for wow. us, it was like getting the reps, making sure we're feeling good going into the match. Sometimes we feel terrible going into the match, and then it would switch like that because the competitive instinct takes over. Wow. So, so you achieved a, a, a career high of 42 in singles. You were top 100 for 13 years, but you actually were ended up being a better doubles player in a sense. You got higher ranked in doubles. You got to be top 10 and got to the finals of the French Open with uh, Goran Ivanisevic. That must have been pretty exciting to be playing with Goran. I mean, he, I mean, Goran was one of my idols. I mean, an unbelievable player. Well, here is my first coach, Mary Tarango, just walked in. She's wondering what I'm doing in here. Come on, Mom, say hi. <laughs> just wave. Hi. No, we don't see Hi, how are you, Mary? See you. There we go. All right. Hi there. <laughs> As your first coach and mom, that's great. Yeah. She's, she's got, there's one of three private courts in Manhattan Beach. She has one of them. So, and Jim Pugh's out here right now uh, teaching right, right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll have to get Jim on. I haven't talked to him in a while. So, okay. So uh, you go from coaching uh, you go from playing to then coaching on the tour. You work with a number of players on the ATP tour, the WTA tour. Tell me a little bit, you know, a few of those highlights of your players and a couple of experiences, what you liked about working with the pro players. And of course it has its issues. Uh, you know, right. one of the issues I saw was, you know, you, you, you're always, you know, you can't really tell the player exactly what you want to tell them sometimes because they're paying your bill. Right. Well, yeah. And, it's and got its issues. That's what I learned. I'm sure you've learned this too as a coach is that sometimes you could have the most talented player in the world, but if you don't connect, it's not going to work, right? But like I was looking for a doubles partner for the French Open. I was top 10 in the world. And it was on my bucket list that I had to buy Bjorn Borg a drink. 
right? It was that we were in Prague. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I so I walked up to Bjorn and I go, Bjorn, I have to buy you a drink. Uh, we don't even have to talk, you know. We, I just want to say that I've bought Bjorn Borg a drink. Like that's okay. I've got to die knowing that I've done that. Right. So I'll have a vodka on the rocks, not so many rocks. <laughs> and so <laughs> then I started telling him, I'm in the top ten and I don't have a doubles partner for the French Open and it's like in three weeks what am I going to do and he goes well it was Nicholas Lepenti's birthday party and you know there was a lot of things going up on going on on the stage and but Nicholas said he couldn't play with me because he wanted to focus on singles for you just had broken in the top 10 also in singles so Bjorn says look around the room who's the best doubles player in this room like I go, Goran Ivanovich, right? He's like, I go, but he'll never play doubles at the French. Like, he's getting ready for Wimbledon. Like, he doesn't even care about the French, right? So Bjorn calls him over, and we start talking about him just working on his servant volley on clay for two weeks rather than going to England so early. And right. he hasn't won it yet. You, you've got to try something new. And so we connected. Right. And I, that's when I realized I could be a good coach is because I was like, well, you know, your forehand volley, you know, kind of stinks, you know, and like, <laughs> like, like that's you said, you be absolutely honest with them. Right. Right. But right. You, you transition into the, you know, the net after your, your serve, it's a little scratchy. You know, you rely on the fact you have the best serve of all time. And, you know, there's just so much that you could clean up. And so I realized I could do that. And what happened was then, like, Andre Medvedev saw me coaching Goran. And he was like, wait a minute. You could, we had the same agent, actually. And he goes, wait a minute. You could be helping me a lot. Right? And then he and Goran said, hey, Eunice, you know, you're the biggest, Ellen Alley, you're the biggest talent, like, but you're ranked 74 in the world. Like, how is that possible? Like, let Jeff just get right up there and work your ass off correctly. We actually reduced the amount of time he spent on the practice court, but made him a more efficient player. Right? Oh, so, cool. And changed his strings, changed his head balance on his racket. You know, we, we, we did so much in his – he decided to start focusing more on nutrition. You know, all these things that was – back then seemed, you know, like – it didn't happen. Now it's like everybody does it, but it just right. kind of melded with certain guys that I realized I can be a good coach in the right situation. There's been some people where it's like, I couldn't coach you to save my life. But Yuri Sharapov calls me and says, Jeff, Robert says you need to coach Maria. She can't volley. She can't serve. And she has no idea how to play a point. And you can help her with that. So will you please help her with that? And I was just retiring. I was getting off the chair. I didn't want to do anything but sit on the beach. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. You know, she clicked. She got, she didn't ever want to win a slam. She said, I just want to be top 10. You know, she was like emulating right. herself after Kornikova. But I'm like, how the hell are you going to get in the top 10 if you don't want to slam? Like, <laughs> and so she went off. She made my mom a promise. She said, if she wins... Wimbledon, because I kept saying, we're building your game to win Wimbledon. You're not going to win the French for 20 years. You're not, you know, slow, hard court. Forget about it. Let's use the Landsdorp stuff and win Wimbledon. Catch them by surprise. You can beat Davenport on grass. You can beat Serena on grass. You can beat Venus on grass. 
And what happens? She beat all three of those quarter semis finals, wins Wimbledon, comes back, buys a house in Manhattan Beach, and the rest is history. You know, but wow. like, I, I also had somebody go with her as a coach. And I think that that's something that's important in this is you can have a coach at home. You can have a consultant as a coach like you. And then you can have the guy who grinds it out, carries the bags, feeds all the balls and does all this stuff. And I think that that's what kind of missing in our Southern Cal program, which is I think it's what you're trying to get to is why isn't this happening for all the juniors? It's because guys like Bill Scanlon don't want to go on the tour and travel anymore. You know, they, they, I mean, he, obviously yeah. he's passed, but that was kind of the thing with me. I think I would have been ranked higher if he wanted to go on tour with me. Right. right. And, and Got, yeah. You see what I mean? But, but yeah. that level Got guy doesn't want to do it. So you've got to have but, different yeah. levels of coaches performing different tasks. You have to have a head coach. You have to have an assistant coach. You have to have, you know, the training coach. I see, I see that with guys on the tour now that a lot of them have that, the head coach, the training coach, the traveling coach. And that, that kind of brings us back to, to full court tennis is what, what I'm trying to do with the app, full court tennis, is that you can connect with your player on the app and you can bring another coach in, you can bring a trainer in. So you all can be sharing video back and forth and analyzing it and looking at it and comparing it. And so I'm trying to bring that not just to the pro tour, but to basically working with kids, you know, like you're doing, basically look, you know, working with the kids locally to help them with their games. That, right. That's great for and the parent. Some kids just want to make the varsity team. Some kids want a scholarship. Some guys want to go pro. So it's all different expectations that they have, but it's happened already with this full court tennis where you've looked at the kids serve that I'm coaching. The kid's never going to be a superstar, but he's a good, fun player. He loves playing tennis. And just a little tweak that you can offer that I didn't quite see makes that kid serve so much better. That Then the parents are going, wait a minute, I've got a whole network behind me and my kids. And, and what you just said was really cool because... I just posted a, a, a tip of a, a guy's backhand, a senior player, and I had Dominique Herbati look at it. And I said, Dominique, do me a favor, analyze this clip, put it on the feed. And so now Dominic looks at it and he comes at it from a different, little different eye than I'm looking at it. And he suggests something that I didn't even see that is so relative. So it's just, it's, it's this whole coach network that we're trying to build and that really can, can help players in general. You can get on the full court feed and you can just, you know, you can interact with the world-class coaches or you can get a, you can get a lesson from Jeff Tarango, right? Right. Or you can get like, a lesson from Brian Teacher or whoever. I'm trying to get Jim Pugh to give my kid a poaching lesson. Right? Yeah, it's hard to teach your own That's kid, right? You have to have somebody else do it. Yeah, right? But think about it, right? So, like, everybody needs to work on different things. And if I was such a great poacher, I would have been number one in the world instead of 10. Like, I mean, Jim's number one, right? Because he poked, yep. moved, he just saw it. It's an instinct for him, right? And so he can exactly. see things. You can see things. I can see things. Like I can help someone's forehand maybe in a way that you couldn't. Or, you know, Dominique Herbati can help somebody in their backhand in a way that somebody can't. Or Sven Gronfield can help somebody in between points on their mental attitude that I would never see. Because he's seen so much of that side of the game that he'll just go, well, look at the body language there. Look at the, I can tell exactly what she's thinking. And so the other coach is going to say this now, right? There's so many different 
angles we can take this. The one thing I want to touch on is that, you know, you and I, we both, as, as we work with kids, we see, we see their technique. Sometimes the kids have been taking lessons for two years, sometimes five years, sometimes more. You see these kids that are typically age 10 to 16 years old. I want to see if you're having the same issue that I'm having, which is that most of these kids basically that they have some major flaws in their technique. And it's not just one stroke. It's with multiple strokes. And, and the issue I find is that if they don't correct these flaws, they're going to end up quitting the game because they're going to reach a level and it's like they hit a wall and then they can't, they can't go any further. And so with this technology today, it's crazy to have technique issues is what I'm saying. Yeah. And also, Brian, what I try to emphasize with the parents is my number one priority is for them not to get injured. And I feel like if someone's fundamentals or their technique is wrong, their body's going to break down somewhere. So it might be they've got a hitch, so then their wrist gets hurt. Or they might dip too low, so their front knee is always taking the burden, so their knee goes out. Or when they run wide, they don't use a power step coming back, so they sprain their ankles. Right. So it's these technical things that fix, that prevent the injuries. And I think that's what's really important for me to be able to have someone like you to go in and research what I'm doing, almost like a backup to make sure that this kid's not going to get hurt down the road. Yeah. Well, we're, this is what we're doing. We're trying to build this global community where we can all interact and help each other and, and, and move this game forward and get better coaching. So I really appreciate you coming on board and I appreciate you, uh, you know, working on full court tennis uh, app with me and, and look forward to seeing you on the, on the full court feed there, Jeff. It's so a thank great you so much. All right, thank you for doing that and working so hard to get it started. Mm -hmm.